So I feel like we promised this episode randomly a couple of months ago, and then a bunch of news happened, and we haven't been able to live up to our promise. But around here, Remastered, when we make a promise, we deliver. So today we're going to talk about the PlayStation Portable. Mm. So, you know, this is obviously the PSP. I guess we'll call it the PSP. I wanted to give it its full name, you know, like the first time you introduce yourself to someone, you give it them the full the name. It is the official name, yes. But everybody knows it as the PSP. Um, and so, like, the PSP took a couple of different forms, right? Uh, but I guess we maybe will touch on a couple of them. But to, to remember it, in case you need a refresher, this was the kind of widescreen handheld device that Sony made. Mm that took its own little discs, the UMDs, which were like little uh, little tiny uh, CD-ROMs with like a square edge on the side of them. Um, and it had the very weird singular joystick in the bottom left-hand uh-huh. corner with the clear uh, L&R buttons. You know, it was a very, mm-hmm. I guess for the time, a very futuristic uh, piece yeah. of equipment. But I will not continue blabbering on like this because Federico's done an awful amount of uh, <laughs> research <laughs> into the history. So Federico, take it away. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say up front how uh, the PSP and the Nintendo DS, which were the sort of the opposing portable consoles at the time, they played a fundamental role in my teenage years in yep. terms of like uh, my video game education and and my just my preference for portable consoles mm. in general. I think it all comes down to just how much I love the PSP and the Nintendo DS equally. Yep. In different, like I. Love them both for dif- in, for different reasons, but uh, the PSP is very close to my heart. So that's why we made this promise a couple of months ago. Anyway, so the PSP, can you believe it, guys, that it was uh, 16 years ago <laughs> that my it came word. out? First, well, in Europe, it was 15 years ago. So mm-hmm. it launched in December 2004 in Japan, and it launched in 2005 in the US and Europe, which... That's I realized right just now that that's half of my life ago. Um yeah. 15 years ago. Yeah. Um so I don't know how I feel about that. So for half of my life I've been I've known the PSP. I guess you could put it that way. <laughs> um so this uh of course this was a different time uh, in the video game industry uh for example consoles were not launching worldwide uh you know on the same day uh just everywhere and we still had like they used to come out first in japan and then in the u.s and last in europe uh which is something that i was used to when i was younger and the psp played into that trend same with the nintendo ds same with the ps2 and every other console I, the iPhone, iPads, like all, you know, back going 10, 15 years ago or whatever, that was how technology, consumer technology played out, right? Like it would, yeah. it would launch in waves. And that is stuff like that still happens today, but yeah. not as much. Not as much, especially for video game consoles. Yes. Like there's a, they come out on the same day and also new games, right? They, mm-hmm. they come out globally. Usually, I mean, most of them do. Most. Um, but yeah, so the PSP, uh, kind of a kind of an interesting um, uh, series of announcements. Sort of the timeline is fascinating, I think, in hindsight. So the PSP was pre-announced uh, a year before at E3 2003. Sony didn't show off the console, but they talked about it in the open, and they basically said that they were working on a PlayStation Portable device. Um, 
Ken Kutaragi at the time said, uh, and this is one of the core themes that we're going to discuss, how the PSP was, and this is very funny, you know, 15 years later, it's the Walkman of the 21st century. <laughs> it was a, a line that they kept repeating at the time. <laughs> the idea being that the Walkman, of course, the, 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 the music player, um, had been for Sony in decades prior a huge success. And the idea was we can now replicate, you know, sort of the status quo of uh, the the status symbol of the of the Walkman um, with the with the new type of device that sort of blends video games and media consumption. So yep. right here we're seeing, I think, one of the core themes of really an entire decade of the two thousands and maybe even later, video game companies trying to sell consoles not just as video game devices but as something that could also potentially either live in your living room or in the case of the PSP be like a modern Walkman that uh, in addition to video games also supported um, video via yep. the UMD um, format and music. So and here we are in 2020 on the verge of another console uh, yeah. revision and finally Nobody is talking about this anymore. The nope. idea of owning finally... the living room, that this is like all of your entertainment comes through your games console. Yep. We have finally made it where, where games, come, games console makers are realizing all people mm -hmm. want to do is play video games on you. Yep. And that's more than enough, right? Like, that's we're more good. than enough. Especially when you have so many video games, it feels yeah. like we've finally, like 15 years later, we're finally moved past it. Mm -hmm. It's not like they didn't try to make it happen again, if you remember a few years ago, with the introduction of the Xbox One. Uh, so that would have been, what, 2013, 14 or something like that? Uh, Microsoft was leaning very hard into the idea of this is your entertainment center. So they were like announcing TV integrations and streaming services. And of course, the PS4 with Sony much more focused on, no, we're all about the games because they had learned the lesson before. Of course, the PS4 found much more success. And it feels like now with the latest announcements with the Xbox Series X and the PS5, it's all about the video games. And of course, the Nintendo Switch, you know, Nintendo doesn't, doesn't have any of these um, <laughs> hopes of being a, no. an entertainment hub anyway. Uh, all right, so... Sony, again, was not showing off the console in 2003. They did share some technical specs, uh, such as, for example, the UMD uh, disk format with 1.8 gigabytes of storage. And I think um, the idea was to sort of impress the, you know, the media people at E3 and to start positioning the PSP as a powerful alternative to the Game Boy Advance, which at the time was the main competitor. And as we're going to see a year later, Sony was still comparing the PSP to the, to the Game Boy Advance, but with a, with a twist in 2004. Uh, so Sony was saying, look, this is an impressive machine. It's going to have performance that uh, it's going to be comparable to the PS2 even. Uh, it'll support watching videos with DVD quality video. And um, there will be region locking for movies, but not for video games, which was also a very welcome announcement at the time. Uh, now, as I mentioned, it's worth, it's worth keeping in mind that in 2003, uh, Nintendo had no real competition in terms of mobile gaming anymore. Uh, we had seen, I remember being fascinated as a kid with the Wonders One uh, console, as well as, as the Sega Game Gear. Uh, I never really, uh, I never purchased them myself. Um, 
but those consoles, while interesting, failed to sell with numbers even remotely comparable to the Game Boy. So if you wanted to have a portable console, it was all about the Nintendo Game Boy. And at the time, the Game Boy Advance. It's kind of funny, really, because like... You know, um, again, like jumping ahead, like I mean, we know we know the way that history played out, and then Nintendo yeah. <laughs> were able to wrap things up neatly. But like I remember at the time, and maybe you can speak to this ahead as well. Like people would say, like people that owned the Sega Game Gear would be like, "Well, this is a far superior piece of hardware. It has a color screen and all that kind of stuff." But mm-hmm. compared to the Game Boy with its black and green screen, but it, for whatever reason, as, as Nintendo tends to do they can they go a lot further on what they've got and and so yeah i guess it's like a it's a funny thing where history keeps repeating itself in that way yeah you know my view on this the quality of the device in terms of technology and its features isn't what counts and it's never counted it's never counted in video games It's never counted anywhere else it's just not important utility always trumps quality and I think we're about to see it again, right? Like Microsoft, like we have the fastest console. Like congratulations! Mm, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so at, at the time, I remember uh, at the time I would um, buy lots of video game magazines as well as sort of lurk on forums as I as I used to do. And everyone was super into the idea of, of like, oh, Sony is coming into this market with their adult, you know, video games and 3D graphics and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna destroy Nintendo. So that was sort of the mood in in a lot of uh, parts of the video game industry at the time. No, uh, so in uh, that was May two thousand and three. So in November of the same year, Sony at a, one of their corporate strategy meetings, they publicly for the first time showed off a concept image. This is the only official concept image that we have from Sony for the PSP. Now, while this is a similar design with the you know with the uh, rectangular form factor and the UMD, the front side of the console is entirely different from the shipping product. So this concept um, had flat buttons uh, instead of the regular buttons that we would get in the final version of the PSP, and it also lacked an analog stick. And I remember that um, the press was not happy about this uh, because they were not in love with the idea of flat buttons and they were not in love with the fact that Sony said we're going to support an analog stick and this concept image, while Sony said this is not final, this concept image had no analog stick. And sure enough, we now arrive at E3 2004. So... This E3, we talked about it on this show and in previous versions of the show before. It's a wild version of E3. The same conference. Sony is announcing the PSP officially and Nintendo is announcing the Nintendo DS. So E3 2004, one for the ages for sure. Um, The final version of the PSP is shown off at Sony's press conference. Um, It's got the design that we know with the glossy front side, with the regular buttons and with the single analog stick and with the clear L and R uh, shoulder buttons. Now, um, based uh, on the specs, you know, comparing the specs between the original announcement in 2003 and the final version in 2004, Sony was also able to make some changes there. The OS uh, was slightly different and they increased memory from 8 megabytes to 32 megabytes, which you know, today it sounds kind of, you know, it sounds cute. Oh, 33 megabytes of memory. But at the time it was quite impressive. And again, Sony was saying how the console could be just as powerful as a PS2. Although in practice, I 
don't really think that PSP games looked better than PS2 uh, PS2 games on mm-hmm. my TV. But Sony kept saying that. And of course, they looked better than a PS1, but they were not as good looking as a PS2 titles. And the battery life was around, you know, four to six hours. Based on personal experience, I would say, depending on the game, you could get, you know, God of War, something very 3D intensive, you could get three, four hours at best. Um, regional locking uh, was only applied to movies and media, which was nice. And uh, of course, during the event, Sony had a whole long list of developers that were either already working or planning to work on games for the PSP. Um, And also there were some uh, games that were either shown off with gameplay or with trailers. Uh, Some of the notable announcements here, I I actually went back uh, through a bunch of articles, Thank God for the web archive and YouTube videos uh, recorded 15 years ago uh, to to compile this list. So some notable names here. Death Junior, which I remember being this like cute platform adventure game that was one of the launch titles of the PSP. Gran Turismo 4 Mobile, which was really impressive. Metal Gear Acid, which was uh, one of the uh, the mobile version of Metal Gear. Frogger. It feels like Frogger is always available for any <laughs> console launch. I know that it was also one of the Apple, Apple Arcade, Arcade launch yeah. titles. Um, Hot Shots, which was the... Um, What's the, the original Japanese title? Everybody's Golf, which is basically the, the Sony's take on Mario Golf. Mm. Ape Escape, of course, Ape Escape at the time was one of the premier Sony franchises. Armored Core... Uh, Dynasty Warriors, one of the other games that has always been available on Sony uh, launches. Uh, Medieval, Formula 1 2004. So, Mike, there was a Formula 1 title uh, for the PSP. Siphon Filter, Wipeout. So there was a Wipeout game. Again, one of the franchises that we don't hear about necessarily anymore. Twisted Metal, Tony Hawk's Pro Pro Skater Underground 2. Ridge Racer, obviously, Ridge Racer has to be part of a Sony Racer. console. <laughs> Ridge Racer, yes, has to be part <laughs> of that. And Tales of Eternia, you know, Japanese RPG, Dark Stalkers Chronicle, and Puyo Pop Fever and Need for Speed. Uh, now, this is, you know, not a, you know, not all of these games were awesome, but as we're going to see later, the PSP had some really, really good title in its in its lifespan eventually. Now, I mentioned how this E3 was kind of wild. Um, and this is, I think, the the key factor to consider when, when, when talking about the context of the PSP in 2004. So imagine the same E3, right? Sony's coming in after a year. There's people expecting the PSP. Everybody's been talking about how Sony is going to um, enter the mobile gaming, the portable gaming market and take, you know, uh, the crown from Nintendo and destroy Nintendo and the Game Boy Advance. And if you go back, actually, uh, and find on YouTube videos from the Sony booth at E3, you will see Sony representatives there actually comparing a PSP and a Game Boy Advance like side to side to say, and we're, of course, much more powerful than the Game Boy Advance and the screen is so much bigger. Like, they were set on this comparison between the older portable console from Nintendo and the PSP. And of course, you know, comparing those two, there was no contest. The PSP looked amazing and the graphics were amazing and the screen was so much bigger and brighter. It looked futuristic. Mm-hmm. As Mike said, it was, there was no comparison there. However, at the same E3, where Sony was comparing the PSP to the old Nintendo console, 
Nintendo was showing off the new one, and the DS was unlike anything we'd ever seen in portable gaming before. Two screens and touch control with a stylus and entirely new Nintendo games, right? Uh, a portable version of Super Mario 64, WarioWare that was working entirely with touch, Metroid Prime that was entirely controlled with, with the stylus, and software like PictoChat, for example. And looking back at this, you know, at this E3 16 years later, it's so clear how Sony was doing these comparisons based on the past and Nintendo for the future had something completely different in mind. Yeah, or it was more about like, can we shrink the PlayStation 2 down to yeah. this? Like that was the idea. I mean, the answer is no. Like that, yep. it, it's not possible to do that. Like that was a, uh, you know, a kind of like an, an idea that we didn't get until the Switch of like this idea of like a similar experience from TV to handheld. Whereas you're right, Nintendo came along and were like you didn't expect us to do this at all. And yep. like that's, you know, Nintendo's always won when they've been able to do that. Yeah. And Nintendo, of course, it was in their advantage. Uh, it was in their own best interest not to shrink a GameCube down to a portable console because the GameCube was not that successful. So they needed to try something entirely different, even though I love the GameCube and eventually we'll talk about the GameCube on the show, but this is not a promise. So Sony kept repeating this well, uh, these marketing points, right? Like, this is the creation of a new media format. And I mean, a solid five minutes of of the presentation was just people looking at a Spider-Man trailer on a PSP. Like, that was it. They were just looking at a portion of the movie uh, because Sony was so convinced that people were going to use the PSP as a, as a portable media hub. And of course, they were also touting the benefits of USB 2 access. So you could transfer your photos and your music from your computer, which I did personally for a while. But there's a big problem also to consider for 2004. At the time, you know what else was huge? The iPod. And people were purchasing iPods and MP3 players. And so Sony found itself in this weird position of, we want to shrink the PS2 down to a portable console, which they did to an extent but they were also distracted by all these other things. And as we're going to see later, uh, during the, you know, the almost 10-year lifespan of the, of the PSP, eventually it was pretty cl clear that Sony wanted to focus just on the games because the media potential, uh, people were just using something else. And then eventually smartphones came around and that was the end of that idea. Um, so some final points on the historical context of the PSP sales. Uh, obviously, the Nintendo DS line... Um, the Nintendo DS line is the uh, the most the best selling portable console of all time, with uh, 154 million units sold to date. The PSP was not a failure sales wise. Uh, it sold estimates are saying around 80 million units, so about half maybe of the DS. Uh, but I guess the, the the if anything, the failure of the PSP was not in terms of sales, but in terms of Sony was not able to dethrone Nintendo as, you know, the king of the portable gaming market, which a lot of people, especially in the press, were expecting Sony to be able to pull off, but they didn't do that. Um, the PSP, of course, had multiple versions. Uh, the original PSP, the PSP Slim followed uh, a couple of years later in 2007. This was a much thinner 
and uh, and lighter version of the PSP. Uh, I purchased that one and I really liked it uh, myself. The PSP 3000, which I also known as the PSP Bright, which I skipped at the time. This came out in 2008. It was a. Uh, it looked like a PSP Slim, but at a at a much 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 better LCD screen with much better colors and contrast and contrast and pixel refresh. Um, in hindsight, I wish I bought it. Um, the PSP Go came out in two thousand and nine. This is a radical redesign of the PSP. This is the cool one. This is the cool one, which I still have, which I still play with occasionally. Mm-hmm. No UMD, digital only design, slide out display. This is so cool looking. It's possibly the the most future. I mean, the PSP is already like the a, a great example of Sony's futuristic design. But the PSP Go, man, I love it. It's like it's so small, and you slide out the display to reveal the buttons underneath. It's so cool. I love it. And there was also I totally forgot about this one, the PSP Street. <laughs> this is a budget version. It's the name, PSP Street, came out in 2011. It's a budget model that lacks Wi-Fi and brightness control buttons. So you got to do that uh, via software. Um, So these were the models of the PSP. And overall, I want to mention just a couple of things. During its lifespan, um, uh, just over 1,300 games came out for the PSP. the PS Vita, of course, uh, uh, as we as we know, given the show, is the was the successor the successor to the PSP. The PS Vita um, can play some PSP games. Of course, the PS Vita does not use um, does not use UMD, but some PSP games were eventually released digitally. So, if those are available, and honestly, the majority of really good PSP games are available for digital download, you can go to the PS Store, even today, if you have a PS Vita, or if you have a PSP, uh, for example, with my PSP Go, I can go to the PS Store and re-download those games, and you can play them. You can still purchase them, actually. Um, So, you can do that on the PS Vita. And uh, lastly, I want to mention the homebrew scene for the PSP, which I think is important. Uh, by the, the homebrew scene means uh, the, you know, the, the community of hackers and developers and creators that were able to hack Sony's operating system for the PSP at the time and allow you to install custom software on it. Um, one of the big things at the time was the custom firmware um, that you could install on the PSP that allowed you to do a bunch of things. Of course, you know, people were downloading pirated games, unfortunately, but there were also all other sorts of amazing, incredible things that the homebrew community was doing. Um, I'm honestly not, and I think I've said this before on the show, maybe. I'm honestly not kidding when I say that reading websites at the time, such as one of them was called PSP Updates. I don't think it's around anymore. But it's it was thanks to those websites that I got like all like all my interest in technology and computers and hacking things and, and doing things. Like it started right there with the homebrew scene for the PSP. And I remember like folks like Fangita and Dark Alex, like one of the prominent uh, figures in the homebrew community at the time, doing all these sorts of crazy hacks to bypass Sony's restrictions. One of those, uh, so-called the Pandora battery. It was incredible. You can Google this. Uh, You could use a battery to bypass, like a physical battery, to bypass Sony's restrictions for the PSP software and install things. And by things, I mean like emulators. For example, I don't think I've ever said this on the show before. I never really played Super Metroid 
on a Nintendo console. I played and finished Super Metroid on my custom modded PSP <laughs> running the SNES 9X emulator. And you I are finished Super me. That's I finished amazing. Super Metroid, and this is 100% true, you can ask my mother, while walking uh, around the turbo, because my mother, need, my mother needed to do sh- some shopping, and I have this clear memory of beating Super Metroid, the final boss, while waiting for my mom outside of a pharmacy in the center of the turbo. <laughs> like, people were looking at me all happy that I was staring at my, like, Yeah, I was a weird kid, honestly, at the time. Yeah, we like, all you, are. Can, you can make... Yeah. But yeah, so the homebrew scene um, for the PSP, incredible. Just some amazing creations coming out of that community. And that, uh, that I guess, concludes my not-so-brief historical recap. Now, Shahid, I know that the PSP holds a lot of significance to you in, in your career. Um, and you were part of the team that, that continued to make it a thing. So what's your kind of take on the PSP? Yeah, I owe the PSP an awful lot, I suppose. Uh, it's funny, I was having a conversation earlier with a former colleague who was there at the dawn of PSP um, earlier today. And uh, we were talking about lost causes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and how I was very good at chasing lost causes and making really, really good capital out of them because nobody else wanted to take on the poison chalice. Well, the PSP wasn't that. Um, the PSP genuinely was very exciting at the time. And I, I joined PlayStation late 2005. And for my interview, I had to show that I had learned about the PlayStation Portable, um, its technology, its architecture, that I could communicate it um, and evangelize it effectively within the developer community because the role I was applying for at PlayStation was that of a developer uh, account manager so an account mm. manager that handles dev- developer accounts and at that time playstation dealt with uh very very highly skilled um predominantly triple a and some double a developers there were almost no independents at that time it was a very commercial and very orthodox and traditional scene uh, that was later to change of course but at the time when i joined the PSP was actually the main reason I was required. So you could say the PSP got me my job at PlayStation, but I actually failed my first interview uh, because I didn't really prepare very well. Um, I was a bit full of myself and I went away. And the reason I hadn't prepared very well was because I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in the games industry at that point. I know it sounds ridiculous, but at that point I was wondering, do I really want to stay in this? Do I really want this job? Wasn't no. totally keen with that job anyway. And I thought I'd take the interview. You know, we've all had interviews like that. We've, we've taken the interview and not necessarily sure we want it. But when I got turned down, I thought, no, no, I, I want this. And, you know, I'd walked away from a consulting gig where I was getting twice as much as what PlayStation were offering me. And yet here I was thinking, I I actually want to do this. And so I went back, had another interview, and that one went really well because I prepared really well and I got hired on the spot. And uh, that was the start of my involvement and predominantly on PSP because the established guys, they were kind of very much in charge of PS2. And that was the big seller. PS3 was coming, 
but you know it wasn't out yet and so they were in charge of ps2 but also in charge of ps3 so they wanted to get rid of some of the responsibility of some of this older stuff and they were quite happy for me to take that on uh which i did Mm. but as soon as i joined i wanted to start rocking the boat um because we had this content approval process do you remember those content approval concept approval that Mm. kind of thing and so i started to fight against that and uh made a few enemies and then i found some friends some of those friends i ended up working with later uh and the reason minis came about was because of those friends so the likes of murray hume and john booth who worked in business development came up with this idea um the project code name was lincoln i don't know if that's ever been publicly really revealed but uh there you go project lincoln and i was asked to actually evangelize this uh we're talking about quite a few years down the line by the way this is 2009 that sort of time 2008 2009 i was asked to evangelize this to the rest of the organization so there were all of these off-sites and i would go to different parts of the country to playstation off-sites and evangelize project lincoln and tell them what it was all about and then evangelize it to developers so that was my involvement with minis it's how i got involved with some of the earliest developers who would later go on to be the same pool i drew upon to start building up strategic content so the psp was responsible for a lot of my relationships uh, a lot of my models uh, and the idea that we would now have this platform albeit very small and albeit not very well um, regarded by japan they didn't want anything to do with it they said look you guys run with it if you want to run with it here europe and in america that's fine but we're not going to do this in japan because there was no content uh, or concept approval there was no content approval in other words you didn't have to submit a demo um to see if it would pass minis would just take anything uh games had to be small and that meant anyone could do it but also at the very beginning the other thing that was happening was that uh, playstation was giving small amounts of money advances to some developers to produce games for minis and so i helped to bring that about uh, along with several colleagues in developer relations the likes of george bain um and agostino simonetta ago went on to um he he's now running idea xbox in europe uh, right. working for chris charla so you know a lot of people around that time and tony clark who was my boss um was actually part of the psp launch team Some, something that was quite interesting that he got involved in uh was the psp go view thing uh, I don't know if you ever heard of that, but it's the first ever video service on a console anywhere. And uh, Go Messenger, which is a messaging service before Skype. So all of this innovation was happening in the PSP space very early on. There was a lot of excitement around it internally. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about it now, but like hearing you mention that, it was, it, it was kind of like they, these things were happening, but ultimately, like it, with hindsight, it's like... That, that it was maybe too too soon, too much too soon. It's like it was. It would have been very difficult to see these things take off. I guess. No, I disagree. Okay. I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was too soon. Um, I think it was the wrong device. Mm. I think ultimately that's, that's kind of what I meant in the case of like like. <laughs> I mean, it, do, it, do you it, want for, for, do you want that on your yeah. gaming device? You know, 
Unless it's unless it's Discord, right? Well, this is this is going back to that idea that yeah, well, that's going back to the idea that Federico was talking about earlier on of like the 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 well, like the modern what did they call it the what Walkman was it the walk, the new, Walkman of Walkman the of the twenty first century. Yeah. It's like, uh, <laughs> but you don't get to say that as a company. You know, you get True. judged by history. Yes, yes. It's history you that says that. you were the Walkman of the twenty first century. Yeah. You don't get to launch like that. I mean, that's the kind of very uh, the very hubris that I always stood up against. Mm. We have to earn it. Doesn't matter that we're Sony. Doesn't matter that we're PlayStation. We have to earn these labels. We, you know, we can't just declare them just because of our past. Yeah, because it's like the the awkward thing was the Walkman of the 21st century did exist and it wasn't made by Sony. It was made by Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, the thing, the interesting thing with the uh, Apple, of course, is that um, the app store launched after the PSP store. Mm. So yeah. we went digital before they did. We were selling games digitally yeah. before they were. Um, there was a lot that was going on in that space. So even though PSP wasn't, associated with the early growth of some of these now ubiquitous technologies it nevertheless was in that milieu and it was absorbing and projecting a lot of that stuff so it was part of the game i just think it should have been a sony device but it should have been a sony phone that did that and you know there was actually multi-touch happening in sony before apple introduced it and i i met the guy who proposed it and was told by he was the he was re- leading the engineering team and he proposed it to the executives and the executives said oh no this one this is not really going to catch on um <laughs> imagine that yeah yeah uh, so imagine a sony phone with that technology because the screens were always ace right yeah the tech was always ace the chips were always ace but here's the thing this is something that i've said recently The thing I love about technology is you should do it anyway. And the reason you should do it is because you don't know how people are going to use it. And it's that very possibility that you're selling to them. You're not selling what the device does today. And you shouldn't say what the device is today. You should just show them Mm. the good stuff on it and then let them lead. And people will. And that was the genius of Apple. The genius of Apple was to say, here's a canvas. This is what we're doing with it. What are you going to do with it? And, you, you know, they didn't... All right, there, there has been some hubris with Apple, but it's usually come from Steve Jobs. You don't see as much hubris um, from the successors of Jobs, uh, either at his level or below. It, I think the only example I've ever seen is Tim Cook um, basking in the glow of uh, customer satisfaction surveys. <laughs> Yeah. Which is not exactly a flex, let's face it. No. But going back to <laughs> but going back to PSP, I was really happy that we got one vehicle through, and that was minis. I was part of a, a much larger European initiative for that, but I got to go out and evangelize it before it launched. And I really do think that was the thin end of the wedge that started to change the way that PlayStation related with developers and so acted as a launch pad for uh, another Poison Chalice, which I gladly accepted, PlayStation Mobile, uh, which did work in my favor because that meant I got to do strategic content, which meant I got to work with the same developers again. And, and at that point, this argument about not having a concept approval, content approval pipeline and loaning kits was really beginning to catch on. 
And of course, it it went off from there. And you know, some figures from that time as well. I remember when in my first full year, because I joined December 2015. In my first, sorry, 20, 2005. Oh, um, yeah, I, I missed a decade there. <laughs> yeah, and <In> 2000- <laughs> come and go. <laughs> <laughs> they do, yeah. At my age, they're kind of all blur. Um, so I, I met Gordon. Gordon just joined in 2006, uh, Gordon Thornton. And he was just kind of playing with um, the website and with sales and with um, the PSP he wasn't really sure about. And I was I was talking to him about, yeah, Native Store would be good. You know, he launched the web store first and everything. Now, of course... You can see what he's done for the store. He's now senior vice president at PlayStation. He's a global head of PlayStation Store and Services. He's grown it from that tiny little mm. first floor in, uh, where was it? Lexington Street, I think we were in at the time, because we weren't in the great Marlborough Street offices. And now it's this behemoth that rakes in just ridiculous amounts of money. So he's done really, really well for well, him. My expectation is like now it's just the way that games are purchased for so many of their customers like yeah it, it wasn't, exactly it wasn't yeah. a punt but yeah what else about psp i remember um yeah earlier on federico was mentioning homebrew and you know what With, when in developer relations some of my colleagues mm. weren't into that and they huh. they wanted to shut down that discussion i was totally for it but i could never say it officially so yeah. privately i would say to developers oh i see you're running this on a ho- homebrew um system because i know you don't have a dev kit and they would get really uh worried yeah i say it's totally cool it, because i know for a fact that at that time had it been another uh manager speaking to them that they would have taken action against them that was the atmosphere that yeah. i joined and that i wanted to change i didn't get to change it straight away we changed it in very very small amounts and there were a lot of us behind the uh the push but in the early days, it was very much the whole hubris. You know, we are PlayStation. We've done the PS2. The PS3 is going to, I know, you know, get 5,000 jobs or whatever, and then you can afford it, and then you'll be good enough for us. That attitude permeated uh, throughout the organization. And the best thing that happened to PlayStation was that $2 billion kick in the backside of PS3 um, to make them realize that this is something that could bring the entire parent organization down never mind just playstation they learned that lesson brilliantly and now they've got the right guy in charge i mean previous don't get me wrong previous presidents have been excellent but that culture shift has been gradual and yeah i'm really hoping it's sustained through ps5 the signs are good Mm. uh it's, it's not the same you know because let's face it there had to be a swing to the other direction so during the launch of ps4 um there had to be a swing to a much more open, much more embracing strategy. And now it's the case of, well, yeah, it's business as usual. Of course you're welcome. You know, you you want a dev for PS5 as an independent developer? Of course you can. No problem at all. So lessons have been learned. You just don't have the same kind of open, overt embrace that was required in the earlier days. But lots of people who are around today were were doing great work in the homebrew times. So uh, and also in the official software as well. So you've got the likes of Dylan Cuthbert, who runs Q Games, who whose company, by the way, did Frog of Ravelock games <laughs> uh, to link those two together. But they did all the tech demos uh, and they did the compiler extensions for uh, the very first dev kits and a whole bunch of demos that everybody loved. You remember that beautiful start screen on the PS3? 
that kind of flowy thing with the orchestral yes. background. Pretty sure Q Games did that, Dylan and his team. Um, and then, of course, Ready at Dawn, one of my favorite developers, they were around in those days. I remember watching them lecture in Regent's Park um, at a private event. They were amazing. You knew that uh, they were going to continue to do amazing work. And at that point, they were talking about Daxter and they were working on other stuff as well. Obviously, they're working on God of War and so on. They're they're with Oculus now, right? Is it Oculus who bought Ready at Dawn? I don't know. Recently. But yeah, they, they were amazing. And to your point about the PSP not really being as good as a PS2, you know that, again, why say that? Yeah, they're a part of Oculus now. Just just to interrupt that up. Yeah, everybody knows you can't squeeze a PS2 into <gasps> into a right. PSP form factor, right? So it's like it's like people saying, you know what? I've got this MacBook Air for you, and we've squeezed a MacBook Pro in there. You know, and you know there are going to be compromises. You know there's going to be severe thermal throttling. You know it's going to be a mobile version of the graphics chip. You know it's going to be a mobile version of the CPU. You know that. It's not going to be able to drive as many pixels, but the experience is comparable. So you don't even have to say it. Just by dint of the fact that the uh, PSP was coming out at around, I don't know, three or four years away from the end of PS2, people would have just seen gone, yeah, this is pretty good. It's not as good as PS2. And then they wouldn't have suffered in comparison because there's no need to do that because the PSP hardware is actually really good. I mean, it's limited, but it was amazing what you could drive it to do in the right hands. That was the other yeah. thing. Very few people could drive it to the absolute best. But developers like Ready at Dawn were able to do that. My friend Lee Hutchinson, who now runs Double Eleven, uh, worked on the... Um, I'm pretty sure it was him who was working with one or two colleagues on the PSP Grand Theft Autos. Oh, uh, wow. and And able to optimize that enormous game down to that size. Really... You know, just genius people able to use every old school trick in the book to make those PSP games look great. It had an amazing library. We were really impressed with what the very best developers were able to do. And as for um, the independents, we started to open the door to them, as I say, around 2009, I would say. So a few years down. I mean, it, it took quite some time. But at that point, I was just relieved that people like Murray and John were happy to put their necks on the line and say, look, if this goes wrong, it's on us. So there's there's nothing for you to lose. And I thought, you know what, there, there is, um, because i got to make an effort. And you've got to remember at this point, I was really very um, downbeat about the situation at PlayStation. Um, but then this is a point at which I went out, did my job, so I thought, you know what, I'll have a meeting on a Friday afternoon. I'll have it at three o'clock. means I'll be finished at four, I'll get home for five. You know, that kind of attitude I had. Just awful. What happened was I ended up at the office of Ricky Haggett's Honey Slug. And this was an afternoon in 2009 that I never forgot because I went there for a one-hour meeting max and then ended up staying about two and a half hours and found that all of the energy and drive, and delight, and curiosity, and surprise, and wonderment that I lost came back in that one meeting. Because here were people doing things that nobody associated with PlayStation was doing. They were making 
demo after demo after demo and they were cute and they were silly and they were fun and they were ridiculous and they were wonderful you know they were just so creative and they didn't care what you thought of the way they were doing it because they were mm. making these games in flush right and <laughs> here was a world completely divorced and what happened right was what what happened is i had become institutionalized in three years flat so i'd allowed myself to become beaten and that meeting with ricky I'll say his name again because he's the reason I'm now a developer again. Because that was a day the developer in me woke up. That was a day I decided I was going to do everything I possibly could for every developer who ever wanted to work for PlayStation. And I never stopped from that day until the day I left in December 2015. So thanks, Ricky, if you're listening. You're probably not because you're busy working on another kick-ass game. But um, I love you, man. Let's talk about some of our favorite games that came out on the on the PSP then. I think that's a nice way to round this one out. So, obviously the, the there were lots of um there were lots of uh like sports games like I remember for example the EA being such a big deal that they were bringing uh, Madden and Tiger Woods PGA and and FIFA to the PSP but I never particularly cared about those games. Uh Although the, I understand why, for lots of my friends at the time, it was such a big deal that those games were coming because it's important to remember how certain experiences just were not were not possible on a Game Boy or DS at the time. So the idea of having like a PlayStation quality game that you could hold in your hands it was just incredible. But I want to mention other games that really had an impact uh, on me from that perspective. And one of them I think is GTA Liberty City Stories. So this is the one that came before Vice City Stories. Mm. The Liberty City came out in 2005 I think. Uh it was you know one of the first games that I got on the PSP. And I have these clear memories of um, just looking at the PSP with my friends. I would you know, bring the PSP with me after school. And just how incredible it was that we could play GTA on a portable console. And it was an actual GTA. Like, it was not one of those top-down, top old-school 2D games. It was an actual GTA game with 3D graphics and a full city to explore and missions and, and, and a story and voice acting. It just felt incredible. And we would just, like, pass the console <laughs> to each other uh, and, and just play the game for a few minutes because it just felt amazing. Um, I also want to mention... Um, this came out later, but in terms of like the feeling of, oh my God, I cannot believe that, that I'm actually playing this kind of game on a portable console, God of War, Chain of, Olymp of Olympus. Uh, this came out in 2008, so later in the PSP life cycle. It was followed by Ghost of Sparta in 2009. Chain of Olympus, though, I, I played and I owned, uh, I have a physical copy, I think, still. It was a uh, portable version of God of War. So, of course, it was slimmed down and it was not as extensive as God of War for the PS2. But, man, it was incredible. Like, the animations and the graphics for the portable console, it did feel like these games, Liberty City Stories and later Vice City Stories and God of War, they did fulfill the promise of slimming down a PS, PS2 experience down to a portable console that you can hold in your hands and take with you. And these two games, like in terms of like the console quality experience and the 3D graphics and the sense of having a premium portable device, they did fulfill that promise for me. 
And then there were other games that I feel like I should mention. Um, Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions. This uh, was one of my all-time favorite games. It's the sort of, re- not a remake, it's an expanded version. It's, it's a port of the PS1 game, Final Fantasy Tactics, with extra characters, new jobs, new cuts, new cutscenes, which looked incredible. Like the cutscenes, like with the anime style, um, and the artwork, I want to say, by... Yeah, Mano-san, maybe. Uh, it just looked fantastic. And of course, better loading times, which, you know, um, the, the, the PS1 version had a bunch of issues there. And the PSP really was an incredible platform for strategy games. Uh, there was one by Level 5, uh, Jean d'Arc, which was like a, 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 fantasy, a fantasy reimagining of the story of Joan of Arc. Um, and it was like uh, done in the style of Final Fantasy Tactics, but with this cute uh, cartoon 3D graphics. It really was a fun game. And in terms of other strategy games, I need to mention this Jaya, um, or this Gaia, I never know how to pronounce this one. Uh, super long and extensive strategy game, as well as Tactics Ogre. Um, the PSP version is called Let Us Cling Together. Uh, I don't believe that the original Tactics Ogre for Super Nintendo ever came out west, but this one, Let Us Cling Together, as an English translation, and boy, to this day, the story of Tactics Ogre and the writing and the music, just so incredible. Tactics Ogre, for those not aware, is by many considered the sort of the 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 original Final Fantasy Tactics, because many of the developers and designers of the original Tactics Ogre later went off to work uh, to Squaresoft. It wasn't Square Enix at the time, and actually created uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. So Tactics Ogre, really, really good uh, tactic game, strategy game on the PSP. Um, I also want to mention LocoRoco, a cute 2D platform game that had a unique control system that used the L and R shoulder buttons on the PSP. Lumines was a psychedelic puzzle game by Tetsuya Mitsuguchi, the creator of Rez, I think. Uh, the music, also another psychedelic game. And I played Lumines a lot. I remember uh, taking the PSP to school with my earbuds to play Lumines between breaks. Uh, it was so cool and fun. And uh, it played really well uh, alongside, you know, certain uh, teenage habits. Um, I also want to cover... Um, let's see, what else is in my list? Ah, Gran Turismo PSP, of course. Uh, if only because it was really technically impressive what could be done, in, you know, what, what, what Polyphony Digital was able to do with that game. And I should mention, of course, Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core. Crisis Core, Crisis Core is, the, is not a real Final Fantasy VII uh, remake. It's an action game. But it was, uh, at the time, you know, 15 years ago, we were already asking for Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, which we eventually got just a few months ago in 2020. Uh, however, at the time, we had Crisis Core, an action game for the PSP, 3D action game. Looked very fun. The story was great, uh, but it was no Final Fantasy VII. Still, yeah, these were definitely my my highlights. What about you, Shahid? Oh, mine were easy. Uh, God of War, Chains of Olympus by Ready at Dawn. Absolute geniuses. I I remember their presentation, and I know I already mentioned it, but it showed me that there was a class of developer who was head and shoulders above 
everyone else. And I'm not just talking about them. There are many developers like them who are just so very good, who are technically so far ahead and are trying things that are just so incredibly out there in order to extract every single ounce of performance from hardware. And of course, the machine has to be able to deliver, but you need the creativity to be able to get the best bang for buck. And they were able to do that. Um, the only downer for me was that they were limited to a single analog stick on that. Uh, but it wasn't too much of a downer. You know, you could live with that. That was the thing about the PSP. You you had the one, but, you know, you could live with the one stick. It was okay because before, of course, there were portables with no sticks. Uh, I have to mention a couple of minis. Velocity uh, 2X is my favorite uh, Vita game. I think, yeah, I have to say it's probably my favorite Vita game. Uh, and it had its genesis in the mini that was called Velocity. And if you compare the two, I mean, you can see the heritage going all the way back to that original incarnation. Cahoots, I must mention, because although it wasn't my favorite game of all time, it was the imagination and the fact that it was on minis, you know, it was on a PSP, that a developer like that could be sitting at the table with other developers made me so happy. The art budget for that game was 30 quid. Yes, 30 quid art budget for a video game on PSP. And that I just love that. They went to uh, Haberdashers, got loads of buttons and little shiny bits and pieces, stuck them in a scanner <laughs> and scanned them and then edited them. And those became the level uh, pieces for their game. Wow. Which is just, I know, I know, just the, the creativity. And, uh, and of course, Daxter also by Ready at Dawn because it's the first time I played something of AAA quality on the PSP and it just blew me away. So like like Federico, I, I had a great love for the Grand Theft Auto games um that were on the PSP. So like Vice City Stories was one for me where like Liberty City Stories was great, but Vice City Stories, I love GTA Vice City. I've spoken about it on this show before. It's one of my favorite video games of all time. So being able to continue spending more time in that like universe was fantastic you know like it was a smaller version of the game for sure but still had a lot of the things that i knew so well from the playstation game right so it really did feel like a portable version of the game that i love it didn't feel like the same game but it didn't feel like an add-on game either like it felt like just a a portable smaller version of that world that i knew um, and then another one for me, which is a big one, and it's you know this is mentioned a lot, is uh, Chinatown Wars, GTA Chinatown Wars, because what I really liked about this one is the um, original nature of the handheld uh, kind of focus for this game. Like I think it was on DS, and I think I think it even made its way to iOS as well during its life. And I think that it did a really good job of modernizing the kind of original aesthetic of GTA from the place from the original PlayStation games top down, but not being completely beholden to that and like finding this interesting mix between the two kind of styles. Um, and then Burnout Legends, uh, I really love Burnout games, and like this, this was one that I was actually playing on that PSP Go just a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's it's a great entry into the series for me, and I like kind of fast paced racing games on a handheld console. I guess I think they work really well, but you know, like it, it's not 
not a surprise to me that like the Rockstar games are some of my favorites. Like they tend to make very, very good games, right? And I think that the the GTA games for the PSP were, were all of them far better than they would have any right to be or you would assume them to be. And I think that that kind of sums up the, the PSP quite nicely in a way, really. Like it it, it had its weirdness um, and unfortunately was kind of like for, for it, you know, was was launched at a time when their competitor in the market was going somewhere else. But throughout its entire life, which lasted way longer than you would have necessarily expected and went on for a very long time, uh, there were lots of shining stars in it. And and really, like, it ended up with a life which continued to extend in weird and wonderful ways, like into the, all of the indie games and stuff, and, and ended up having a history for itself, which was which maybe more than anybody would have assumed from when it was maybe first being shown off with those concept images. 